I'm Summer. And I'm Elle. This season on the South Phoenix Oral History Podcast. Join us as we research, write, and submit an article for academic publication. From start to finish. Each episode will share our progress with you. And challenge you to work side by side on your own project. Our work is grounded in oral history research and method, but yours doesn't have to be. Consider us your global virtual writing group. Let's do this together. Hi, Ellie. How are you? Summer, how are you? I am just ready to roll. We are going to talk about our research questions today, which is always among my favorite topics. Um, We are taking The Craft of Research, written by Wayne Booth and others, as our guide when it comes to writing a research question or kind of naming our research intentions. And so for those of you who don't have Booth's book, uh, I would highly encourage it. I have several copies in my office. And as a refresher, if you weren't, um, if you don't remember from the last episode, here's what Booth really encourages you to do. He says, step one, name your topic. If you are beginning a project with only a topic, then um, a good question or two will help you get started. So I am trying to learn about, I am studying dot, dot, dot. And then you fill in the blank with your topic using um, some kind of active language. So I am studying the causes of the disappearance of large North American mammals is an example he provides. That's step one. Then step two, add an indirect question. So this indicates like what you don't yet know about your topic. So I am studying or working on, et cetera, because I want to find out who, what, when, where, whether, why, how, et cetera. So his example, again, I am studying the causes of the disappearance of large North American mammals because I want to find out whether they were hunted to extinction. That's step two. And now step three is answer the so what. So what's motivating your question? This tells us not that it's just interesting, but how it's relevant to you and to others. So to do that, you add a second indirect question. So it can feel a little complicated, but think about his examples again. I am studying the causes of the disappearance of large North American mammals. That's one. Two, because I want to find out whether the earliest peoples hunted them to extinction. And three, in order to help my reader understand whether native people lived in harmony with nature or helped to destroy it. So that's kind of his example. You go really like small, you go topic, then sort of next step, and then real broad, contextualize or broaden. And it can really be challenging. I encourage all of you listening to try this with your research question and try it over and over again, try to perfect it and get it right. Uh, it can help really drive your research and your motivations. So last time we met, Ellie and I said that we'd each write our own research questions. Uh, Ellie, how was this experience for you? Was it easy, hard, fun? Um, so I tried using the prompt to help me guide me through the research questions. And basically what ended up happening is that the third part, so in order to understand everything I wrote after that became my research questions. I tried to go a little over the, the the simple, we'd like to find out what the boundaries of South Phoenix are. That's what I was, I, I tried to have that as my sort of second step. And then the third step was going a little deeper into that. So why actually we were doing this, this, this research. That's how I approach it. 
I love it. And was that challenging for you, like intellectually, or was that fairly like, were those things already in place for you? Um, no, it was actually challenging because uh, writing with this prompt, it helped me understand that over and over, we, I kept repeating myself that the main research question was, we just want to find out what the boundaries are. But that's yeah. not true. Uh, that's a very sort of simplified version of what we're trying to achieve, which is true. We're trying to understand what the boundaries are, but that's we're not doing it just for the sake of understanding what the boundaries are. Yes. Um, so it was challenging to think deeper and try to understand what more we could do with that and what the um, the implications of that were beyond just the boundaries. So that's what the, the, the difficulty was. Did you find it hard? I found it hard because I felt like all three questions, I kept saying the same thing over and over again, you know, in part because I still, I can't pull it apart quite cleanly yet. But I think what you're referencing to this idea of the big, so what history, te history teachers are always saying like, well, so what, right? And history students don't always understand what that question means because it's like, interesting, right? Something might be interesting. Well, we're not just looking at it for entertainment value, or like you said, because we just want to know where the boundaries are. We're trying to make a claim. We're trying to say this history matters because it shows us this about the human condition, or it shows us this about kind of local politics or local culture um, or global politics, global culture. So it tends to be bigger and more sort of complicated than just what it is that we're looking at. And I think a lot of times we feel intimidated by that. Like, well, really is my research that important? Really is my research going to make that big of a, of a impact? And maybe it will, or maybe it won't, but it's good for us to say, well, if I'm able to prove this, then this means this. So this means that for a larger, broader audience, um, which is very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, I sometimes help uh, students with their applications for college or university. And I recently got in contact with this girl who would like to um, do a master's in history. And so I was helping her with her with her application. And one of the things that she listed as a, a reason for applying to this school was that because she was she just liked the idea of of studying something that had to do with the past and that she was interested about the past and it was a very romanticized way of looking at the the field of history uh, and I get it and I had to find a way to tell her look at this point because you're applying for a graduate program they don't just they know you're passionate about the subject that's a given then what, what they want to see at this point is that you have the skills to go into an archive and do a proper research. And so at this point, you serve a bigger community. You don't, don't just do it for yourself. I had to find a way to tell her that. <laughs> it's so good. And it's true because there's a difference between a professional historian who researches and writes and publishes things so that they're contributing to the field or the conversation about a particular topic. And what in America we call a history buff, someone who just really likes documentaries and books about the Civil War or whatever. And no disrespect to the history buffs out there. It's just there's a difference between 
being someone who consumes history because you like reading about it or listening to it or watching it and someone who produces history because you're trying to make an argument about history, about the the evolution of human behavior on a specific scale. And it's very challenging for students of all ages to really understand those nuances. But that's why research is so vital to our field is that's that's the difference between learning history and doing history is really the role of research. So here's my question for you, Ellie. Do you want to each of us read our full research question with all three points or do you want to go point by point and we alternate? What do you think would be better? Oh, yeah, we can do. We can alternate. I like you want that. to alternate. I do, too. OK, good. So let's start with number one. I am studying. What are you studying? So for that, I just left it very simple. And I just said, I am studying South Phoenix history. Okay. I said, I am studying the the boundaries of South Phoenix then and now. Okay. So you already brought it at the next level right there. (laughs) I did, but you did say South Phoenix history. So we both have the caveat of, we're not just studying the current conditions of South Phoenix. We're looking at kind of historic change over time. Okay, how about number two? Because I want to find out. So there, uh, that's where I talked about the boundaries. I said, I'm studying South Phoenix history because I want to find out what the boundaries of South Phoenix are and what they were. Okay, so that's part of your two. Okay, so we're close. I wrote, I am studying the boundaries of South Phoenix then and now because I want to find out how the boundaries were drawn and defined over time and by different people. Oh, oh, right. So different constituents or power players are drawing different. And I have an example for you when we're done, but I'll get, I'll wait till the end for that. Okay. How about step three in order to understand? Okay. Then I said, in order to understand how they have changed over time, why, how they have influenced the neighborhood in terms of growth, people, and culture. Ooh, I think I like yours better. (laughs) I think I want that one because I, mine is messy, really, really messy. Okay. So I'm studying the boundaries of South Phoenix then and now, because I want to find out how boundaries were drawn and defined over time and by different people in order to understand how history has shaped both the geographical boundaries of South Phoenix and what insiders or outsiders believe about the history of this place. Mm, Yeah. Well, it all comes back to people anyway. Right. I think that's one thing I noticed from both of us is that we're both interested in the change over time piece, which historians, I always tell my students, we study one of two things. We study a watershed moment. So everything was one way and then the watershed happened and everything was different. Or we study change over time, which is a gradual change. So we're both really interested in change over time. And what else are we normal? What are we really interested in here? What's another theme you found? Well, it's just how the these boundaries have had an impact on um, lives of of people of this community. Yeah, we're both and really interested in people. We're both interested in people for sure, and the impact of the boundaries on individuals. Do you know mm-hmm. what else I love that we both are focusing on is not on like we've talked about city planning or kind of hierarchical changing or demographics. Like we're really interested in the interpretation of these Mm -hmm. boundaries. I love it. Do you feel like this is a good way for us to organize our writing? I really think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
this prompt. I mean, it helps a lot. It really does. It does. I think I'm going to like have a poster printed up for my office. I have space for it. I'll put it somewhere. <laughs> so I have a story for you. So I think I told you, did I tell you about the story with the woman where she turned around to me and said, that's debatable? I think so. I'll <laughs> retell it. Yeah, I'll retell it again just in case. So those of you who are listening, if I've already told the story, I'm sorry. But I was in the car. I was in the back seat. And there were, we had two narrators with us and we were driving around, uh, well, we were driving around an area. Um, it's an area called Grant Park, which is south of the tracks, but north of the river. And this woman, Irma Payan, grew up in um, near Grant Park. She grew up near uh, Herman Park or in Herman Park. And it's all in one kind of congested city area. And so I said to her and Ray, the other narrator, I said, now, would you two were driving around their historic neighborhood? They're pointing out places that they went to school and parks that they played at and houses they lived in. And I said, would you two consider this South Phoenix? And Ray sitting next to me says, oh, yeah, absolutely. And Irma turns and looks at me from the passenger seat. And she says, I told you that's debatable. <laughs> like real straightforward, like real, real sassy. And I thought, yes, it is debatable, right? Because we're north of the Salt River, but we're south of the tracks. And the first boundary that was drawn between white people and people of color in Phoenix was the railroad track. And so it's really this question of like, when does it get called South Phoenix? Who's calling it that? Is the city calling it that? Are the people living there calling it that? When does it, you know, change and shift over time? And I just love that. I love this kind of, I mean, they, these two literally grew up across the street from each other and one says yes. And the other says it's debatable. It's just great. I think we said this is actually a great start for the article. Yes. <laughs> it's a great like little quote at the very beginning instead of a, you know, I think it's called an epigraph, but I, uh, or an epitaph made with a T. Um, yeah, it's perfect. It's like, yeah, there you go. I told you that's debatable. So what is our next challenge, Ellie? What do we think we should do to get started? Now, I'm sure our listeners are like, get writing already, jeez. <laughs> um, and I think that uh, both of us, I think that we're ready to, to write, but we're still missing actually a huge piece in our puzzle. And that is the survey. We haven't analyzed our data yet. And there are things about the article that we could start writing. For example, the methodology section, we could start writing that because we have, there are plenty of things that we've already done, but um, we really need to um, work on, on the survey and really read and analyze everything that we have so far. Um, so I think that that's our next step, um, analyzing the survey. What do you think, Summer? Yeah, I think that's great. And the survey is massive. We have over 100 responses. Several of them are done by students at the college, but so many of the students at the college are community members. So there is a lot of overlap there. And so I think that it's time to analyze the survey. Uh, neither Ellie nor I are statisticians or really in kind of the data, you know, statistics world, but we will do our very best. Most of the questions are fairly understandable. And we used a software that should be manageable. But one of the things that we'll, we know to do is reach out for help. So if we get to a point where we can't understand or interpret a question, we'll probably reach out to experts and ask for their input. Um, but I think what we've talked about is maybe going question by question. There are, I don't remember how many questions do you, Ellie, how many do you think we had in that survey? Maybe eight? Yeah, less than 10. Yeah. 
And some of them are very demographic, like how many you know people are over a certain age or you know within an age bracket. So there might be a couple episodes where we do two or three questions at a time. But then when we really get into the meat of the survey, I think what we'll do is analyze each question. Um, and then if we have a follow-up episode, maybe we need to do a little bit more research. But basically, you're gonna the listeners are going to follow along with us as we interpret this massive data set so that we can begin to write an argument because we've both glanced at the survey, but we have not dug in. So we've done our historiography. We've started prepping for all that. We've got our research question, but now we have to actually do the part that we said we're going to do. So this is the, this is the good stuff. Yeah, I agree. Very good. All right, listeners, if you want to reach out, let us know what you're working on, what your research question is. You can find us on Instagram at SMCC history. Um, I believe, <laughs> and you can email us at uh, historysouthmountain at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing more from you. See you next time.